Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we are speaking with Dr. Caitlin Neal. Dr. Neal is a 2014 graduate from the Western University of Health Sciences College of Veterinary Medicine. She has a special interest in shelter medicine and currently practices as a contracted high-volume, high-quality spay and neuter surgeon at several shelters in Maryland. Dr. Neal is a strong supporter of TNR programs and works as the staff veterinarian for the DC program Catnip, as well as with Metro Ferals in Maryland. Caitlin, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thank you, Stacey, and good morning. Good morning to you, too. It's uh, freezing cold here in Vermont. It's about one degree below zero, so it's very, very chilly, and I always keep thinking about those cold, feral cats outside with the shelters, and uh, I keep on thinking about we need more heated shelters. Oh, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) So before we jump into the content of our show, I wanted to find out how you got started becoming a veterinarian, your interest in community cats and and animals in general. Kind of started in undergrad. And I think my mother would say, since I could spell and speak the word veterinarian, I've wanted to be a veterinarian. I kind of got involved with the shelter, helping out, uh, just starting medicating some of their animals and doing nail trims. Um, This is in central Pennsylvania. And then when I got into vet school, I realized that shelter medicine was actually a thing and I could do that full time, um, which for me was perfect because that's what I love to do. And I feel like if you have a career, you should get paid for what you love to do and then it's more successful long term. When I did my fourth year rotations, obviously my focus was towards shelter medicine and I did a rotation with the Washington Animal Rescue League as well as the Washington Humane Society. And at that time, it was under Dr. Megan McAndrew, as well as one of their associates, uh, Dr. Emily Swinarski. And they have a wonderful TNR program. I got involved with it as a student, as a fourth-year student, continued on as a veterinarian when I was employed there. And I've kind of taken over the catnip program as it's very near and dear to my heart. And then staying on not only with DC doing you know high volume for their feral program, uh, I also started to go up in uh, Eldersburg, uh, Maryland, and help them out with some of their uh, feral programs too, Metro Ferals. You are like a spay neuter dynamo. <laughs> Try to be. <laughs> <laughs> One question I have, and we were talking a little bit about this before the interview started. You're obviously a relatively recent graduate coming from somebody who's been around for like 20 years. And I, I think it's awesome and it's fantastic to have so many veterinary students interested in helping with the high quality, high volume spay neuter model because of your fourth year, you already had some opportunities streamlined for you to come into play. But what if there's a veterinary student that doesn't have those opportunities lined up and they really, really are passionate about getting involved in this practice, this sort of industry or subsection of veterinary medicine? What would you give them for a recommendation if they're kind of coming out somewhat cold? Like say they went to Tufts Veterinary School, but they have to move back to California for whatever reason. What would your recommendations be for for someone for that beginning six-month process? 
There's definitely lots of programs during uh, veterinary school itself. There's a student chapter of American Shelter Veterinarians that I was actually a co-president with, as well as the student chapter of HSVMA. And those programs both have high student volume and surgical time programs, such as Rural Area Veterinary Services, or RAVs, which I think is a wonderful program for students to get involved with. For those of you who don't know what that program is, basically they go to low income or Indian reservations and help to spay and neuter the bulk of their population. They also see wellness appointments. So it works very well for the populations because they're receiving very, very low or free uh, veterinary services. And in return, the students are learning how to practice physical exams, how to do spay neuter surgeries with a veterinarian right across the table from them. There are a number of different intern and externship programs that are provided from shelters around the area. The uh, Humane Rescue Alliance, which was formerly the Washington Humane Society, also offers this. And that's you know how I kind of got involved there. There's also Humane Alliance down in North Carolina, which is a wonderful program. They actually house the students there and really work on making sure that they're comfortable to do a spay and neuter even before they graduate. But they do have a program also for veterinarians that want to be more comfortable with spay and neuter and different ways of how to approach a spay that can make them faster. Things that they're not necessarily taking shortcuts, but it's ways to make you more efficient in surgery. Um, have less body fatigue because if you're doing, you know, 40 surgeries a day, trust me, your back starts to hurt, your knees start to hurt, your hands start to hurt. So that would be where I'd recommend students go. Personally for catnip, you know, if you're licensed in the district or a student, you know, we're always welcome to uh, have more students on board and kind of work with them one-on-one. So tell me a little bit about catnip and what is that program all about? So catnip has two big parts of it. It's for TNR in the district for all the cats out there. And then um, we also offer the surrounding areas spay-neuter services for about $45. Uh, And that includes the spay, the neuter, vaccination for rabies, FERCP. Every cat gets ear-tipped and every cat gets tattooed. Sometimes we'll do additional services like deworming and microchip if the uh, feeder is willing to provide extra additional costs. Uh, for this. Sometimes if animals come in that need other surgeries like entropions, nucleations, amputations, laceration repairs, dental work, we also try to work in our medical fund to kind of make sure that that animal's health is improving. The other facet, and I think this is really important because a lot of people offer TNR, but they don't offer a support system to kind of manage any kind of nuisance complaints or, you know, people that are struggling in the community, either to feed these animals, to uh, relocate these animals if needed. And that's kind of what the catnip non-medical branch does. They have five main goals. And um, the first one would be to improve relationship between thousands of community cats living in the district and the people that coexist with them. The second would be to humanely reduce the population of community cats through spaying and neutering, which is kind of where I come in play. The third one would be socialization of young kittens for adoptions into indoor homes. Usually kittens under 12 weeks we were able to work with in our quote-unquote feral school and kind of get them so that way they're socialized. They're not you know, a feral quote-unquote kitten. They're a tame kitten that's under-socialized instead. The fourth would be to provide resources and guidance for the best practices of care in community cats. And the last one would be to deter unwanted cats from yards or public areas, because a lot of times people are okay if the cat's living there as long as it's not 
you know, kind of impeding in their personal spaces. Most of the complaint calls we have are cats defecating in the yard or the garden, um, or people that aren't really sure what to do with these cats. You know, they, they've seen cats, they're concerned, but they don't have a lot of resources to take them in, necessarily have them spayed or neutered, or to come up with the next plan for them. So that's kind of what our catnip program's for. And I don't think I mentioned this, but it stands for the Cat Neighborhood Partnership Program. So it kind of goes hand in hand with our feral cat spay neuter program through the Humane Rescue Alliance. Looking for a great tool to help educate your neighbors about community cats? Check out this sign available from the folks at Lumen LS, a life-saving organization from Broward County, Florida, that believes no cat should be left behind. This sturdy, bright orange sign featuring an ear-tipped cat would be great for cat colony caretakers, shelters and rescues, spay-neuter clinics, or municipalities and animal control organizations. Education about the correct ways to manage community cats is exploding in the U.S., especially in the last five years. This sign will help you let your community know that ear-tipped cats have been fixed and vaccinated and pose no threat to them. The community cat sign comes complete with all of the hardware you need to post it, Buying and posting the sign will help move animal welfare forward and improve outcomes for cats in your area. You can view and purchase the signs directly from our Facebook page at Lumen LS. They also have a colorful informational brochure about community cats plus lots of other resources. Support the Community Cats podcast and LumenLS.org by going to Lumen LS on Facebook today. Are you starting to think about that special holiday gift? Why not give the gift of a Community Cats podcast branded t-shirt, coffee mug, bag, or other item? This is the perfect way to spread the word about helping community cats. The proceeds from the sales will go to support the Community Cats podcast and the Community Cats Grants program, which helps small groups grow their fundraising programs to be able to fund more spay-neuter programs for free-roaming cats. Go to www communitycatspodcast.com and click on our shop button in the menu bar today to get that perfect community cat gift right now. Thank you everybody for supporting the show. We are talking, you're focused in the Maryland and the DC area. And so as you've been there for the last several years, what's life like for community cats there? We actually did a survey of our feeders in the area recently, um, gathering research for another presentation. But, you know, the more that we've had some issues in recent events with Department of Energy, Environmental Energy, we've kind of wanted to get more of a base for um, what do the feeders actually feel about their cats? Are they noticing kittens? How many cats do they think are in their colony? And are they overall, you know, generally healthy? I mean, we see them as a snapshot as they come through through spay and neuter surgery. And for the most part, they're fairly healthy. Uh, within a year, we probably declined about 10 for severe upper respiratory tract infections, emaciation, or, you know, otherwise failure to thrive. Uh, and then we have to come up with a plan for them. But by and large, our feeders are saying that their cats are healthy, with one being very sick and 10, you know, being 100% healthy. They rate them about on average an eight, which I think is wonderful. Yeah. Several feeders are also reporting that they haven't seen kittens in their colonies for one to five years, which I also think is one of our end goals as well. So eventually you will run into the situation that we've run into up here in Massachusetts. Uh, and uh, one of my most recent uh, blog posts, I believe it was in early December, was about the questions around retiring a feral cat or a colony cat. 
how do you make the call for when your community cat has started showing signs of age and, and what do you do at that point? And so that brings me into actually my next area of question in terms of in the DC, Maryland area, have you started having the conversation about maybe thinking even more towards sort of community medicine, community cat medicine, to be able to provide some extra support services. And you referenced it to a certain degree when you were talking about your programs. But if we get to a point in our dream world where we have really high rates of sterilization in our colonies, and you know maybe we have always have patches of black hole areas or areas where they're sort of some flare-ups of some unsterilized cats, but then we get in there and we get those areas, hopefully before there's another, you know, a really large flare-up. At that point, then we're going to be trying to provide for these community cats that are going to be, you know, five, 10, potentially even uh, the cats that we had in the Newburyport waterfront were, you know, 15 and up. They will not necessarily spay neuter support, but they will need some sort of supportive care potentially over time. Yeah, I, I think we're extremely lucky in the fact that we've had a strong program for several years. We've had enormous community support um, for both of our foster network if we need to get these kittens socialized, as well as feeders that are really willing to go the distance for their cats. I am seeing more cats for, you know, not just spay neuter, but people that are like, hey, I need to get my cat revaccinated. What can I do? Where are my options? Feeders that are concerned that their cats are getting skinny and um, we're able to test for, you know, hyperthyroidism. We're able to test for renal disease. I'm starting to see cats decline from cancers instead of being outside exposed to the environment and whatnot. I think it is a blessing disguise that, you know, these cats are having geriatric cat diseases as opposed to what people usually think about hit by car, predation, people harming the cats. You know, we do see that as well, but I think definitely at fewer rates, the more and more TNR goes on. And and hopefully that is due to, you know, reduction of cat population. Yet to even know what numbers we're truly dealing with in the district, which is frustrating. But, you know, it definitely helps to have a strong network and support. Also, since I've not been directly involved with shelter medicine um, with DC and taken more of a step as the catnip veterinarian, I have been able to comment on days that I wouldn't have otherwise and provided other services um, while the clinic is not currently being in use. So cats that are stuck in the shelter that are your tip that have a known colony, but we don't have another option for because they need to get XYZ surgery. I'm able to come in and kind of help them a little bit more than I would have been as an associate just at the shelter. So there's that as well. But we do have a very strong veterinary community as well in the district um, that are willing to see ferals and help us out with medical services, with revaccination, or to, you know, kind of refer out to us for someone who can't provide the care that they need for their cat. So I think that goes hand in hand with the next step of TNR, um, you know, because we, you know, obviously our first goal is to sterilize as many cats as we can and reduce the number of cats coming into the shelter. And once we get to that level, yes, we are able to provide additional services, um, such as these medical needs. And the dreaded dentals. (laughs) 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 That that we we ran a a cat sanctuary for quite a few years, and we would annually do a medical roundup 
on the cats. So I think we had like 50 or 60 cats. The dental volume that we did when those cats were, I mean, I won't even mention what the costs were, but the dentals are really very, very expensive for a feral cat caregiver, that's for sure, and for pretty much anyone in general. It's a big challenge. It is as the cats get older. It's great to see the cats getting older and they you know, are getting the love and the shelter that they need, but there are definitely some challenges for us as a community cat group to be able to think about alternatives and, and how are we going to handle those issues as the population gets older. I think it sounds great, though, what's going on in D.C. and uh, and Maryland. And you had mentioned that you work with uh, Scott Giacopo, who was also on the Community Cats podcast in one of our earlier episodes. You can just search Scott Giacopo. He is episode number 24. Five, So you can just put in the search bar episode number 25 or Scotch Giacopo, and you can certainly listen to his great interview that we had way, way back in July, if you can imagine that, over 100 episodes ago in the past. He talks about what life is like for community cat in the D.C. area. So, Caitlin, if people are interested in finding out more uh, about what you do or any of the programs that you're involved with in Maryland or D.C., how would they find you? Well, the best would be to contact our catnip direct line, which is 202-608-1356. My personal email is cneal169 at gmail.com, which I can also, you know, kind of answer emails about or if people, you know, have issues with their feral cats that they need to get medical assistance. um, I can probably steer them in the right direction for that, too. Before we uh, wrap up the show, I promised you we would do a sort of test the vet question here. So (laughs) you said you were prepared for any question today, so I will bring it out to you. Since you're fresh out of school and young and full of energy, what do you think life is going to be like for community cats in the next five to 10 years? Well, I definitely hope that we can start to work a little bit more with wildlife organizations. I spoke on a panel with Grant Sires more recently, and it kind of impressed me to see that you know, we do have very similar goals. It's just how we get there is very different. So I think a lot of my career in the future is going to be working with wildlife groups and kind of seeing where we can collaborate together. And again, just continuing on, you know, I do support TNR. I see it as the best means to reduce outdoor cat populations um, and improve cat health. I don't support rounding up the kitty cats, bringing them in, and and euthanizing, I don't think anyone would support that. You know, 81% of the population disagrees with it. So coming up with some middle ground, I think, is going to be the biggest step coming forward to find a solution for what we're going to do with our kitty cats and these wildlife population issues as well. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that we actually have a lot of common ground with the organizations that are worried about predation and other issues. I've spoken with several groups. And when I worked up in Massachusetts, we were in like bird lover heaven. We were all on the same page. We didn't want abandoned cats and we didn't want high populations of cats out there, but we also wanted to treat them humanely. So we seem to have a a pretty good balance up there. And and hopefully, you know, it's about a balance and having a balance across the country would be really ideal. Caitlin, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? 
I think that's it. If you want to support Catnip, we would greatly appreciate that as we go forward into 2017. We've got a wonderful support space already. And, you know, if there's any way we can help other organizations kind of promote their feral cat programs or their support systems, we'd be more than happy to help. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Caitlin, for being a guest on my show today. And I hope we'll have you on in the future. I would love to do that. Thank you, Stacey. Thank you for listening to the Community Cats podcast. I would really appreciate it if you would go to iTunes, leave a review of the show. It will help spread the word to help more community cats. 